now and our reading today is from Luke. So if you want to follow on the screen or um, grab your phone and or your Bible and have a look along with us and Fiona's going to read to us. Good morning church. Bible reading is Luke 24 starting at verse 1 and we're doing the NIV today. The Resurrection. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the, to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Thanks, Fee. <coughs> It's probably a, um, this is probably a section of scripture that's probably going to be read in hundreds of churches, you know, on, on Easter and all over the world. And, you know, in the title on top of my Bible, it says, Jesus has risen. You know, and just when we were praying before the service, I was um, saying to the guys, you know, um, I know, I don't know how how common it is here, but I know that in the Anglican churches and some churches, and I know that in Holland, when we lived in Holland and worked in Wyoming, a lot of the time you'd go to churches there, and on Easter, Easter, the person leading would always get up and say, Jesus is risen, and the church would say, exactly. You know, it sounds kind of corny, we don't do that stuff anymore, but there's something to that, isn't there? This is kind of like, hey, yeah, we reckon he, he's risen indeed, and Scott was right, that's what we celebrate every Sunday. And so we could read this section of scripture every Sunday, couldn't we? But there's lots of other intriguing things in here. You know, the title of this says Jesus is risen. And it kind of starts off really triumphant. You know, don't you think? He is risen. And we say that with an air of celebration when you come in, Happy Easter, and we talk about him being risen, we, we worship, and um, we say that with an air of celebration, you know, like this winner's feel. That, that hooks up with that whole football analogy really well, doesn't it? There's this, we're the winners, like Jesus wins, you know. Um, when people say about the Bible, you know, I've read the Bible and I know who wins, we win. You know, Jesus won and not even at the end of the Bible yet and we've won. There's this winner's feeling, isn't there? Joy and, and happiness. How can you not be happy at Easter? Especially Easter Sunday. Except that's not, quite how it was in our reading if you read it there's no exultant um, happiness cheering you know there's no sort of streamers that come out of the the sky that's really interesting isn't it 
We've been speaking in these last few weeks leading up to Easter about the way. You know, on Friday, we talked about, you know, the way of Jesus, where the way ended up. The way ended up at death. The way of Jesus. The things that he talked about, the things that he modeled. The, and, and he told them where the way would lead, didn't he? He told them where he was going. He told them what he was here for and where the way would go. That he would die. And he told them, but he would rise again in victory. That in three days he would rise again. However, and he told them all this. And if you were hanging around with him, if we were hanging around with him, we would have had that whole story. Yeah, we might have raised our eyebrows and thought, well, we've never seen that before. This is going to be interesting, right? I've got to watch. I mean, if someone says to you, you know, I'm going to die, but in three days again, I'm going to, and he's close to you, I'm going to rise up again. I'm keen to see that happen. You? So you'd be pretty keen, hey? You know, but the events of the crucifixion and everything that happened around that seems to have made them forget the way. They forgot. They forgot the things that Jesus said would happen. And that's why we get this reaction and this response. So how do we know that they forgot? Right off the bat, right at the start. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. Right at the outset, the ladies head off to the tomb with the spices for a body. That's what the spices were for. They went for a body. You know, after a, after a, uh, in in the in the Middle Eastern culture, when a when a body dies, within normally they would do within a very short space of time, they would use spices and they would embalm. Um, they didn't have refrigerators like we do in mortuaries, so things would smell really quickly, and so the spices would mask that and etc. You know, and they probably went a little bit later, and that might have been because of the Sabbath in the middle. And because of a bit of fear, because of the whole fear around what was happening with Jesus and the Romans and that. But the women have gone off looking for a body. So they forgot what Jesus said. They didn't expect the body to not be there. They didn't expect the tomb to be empty. They forgot the resurrection part. Then they have a look in and they start wondering. It says they wondered. They're wondering what happened. The ESV says they're perplexed, you know, huh? They went fully expecting the body to be there. This is three days in. They look in and they wonder what happened. Did the body get stolen? Is there something shifty going on here? You know, the Romans can be pretty shifty. What's going on? Then there's these men in gleaming clothes, it says. That's not to be mistaken like glitter today in today's fashion. These gleaming clothes appear and they bow down in fright. They, they wonder what's happening. And then they're asked by these men in gleaming clothes, who we know are angels or messengers from God, why do you look for the living among the dead? What a silly question. Or was it a profound thing to say? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And, they say, and then the, the, the men in gleaming clothes say, remember what Jesus said. Remember how he told you. Only then, it says in verse 8, then they remembered. Oh, yeah, this whole thing about him coming back to life. Then they remembered. Don't you think that if someone said they were coming back from the dead in three days, that you might remember it? Would you think? I reckon I might. 
I'd set up, we'd set up a little um, camera nowadays, wouldn't we? We'd have one of those. What do they call those, the little square? That's it. We'd have a GoPro set up. We'd have all kind of angles watching, you know, see what's going to happen. Wouldn't you? You'd, you'd be a little bit curious at the least, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have to be reminded that Jesus said he was going to rise because it wasn't normal. So it's not something you need to be reminded about. But then they remembered. You know, it makes me think. Do we expect an alive Jesus in our lives? Do we expect Jesus alive to be in our lives? Do we expect an active Jesus to actively get involved in our lives, to be interested, not a gone Jesus or someone far away that's absent or disinterested or busy, dead? Do you expect an alive Jesus in your life? Do we sometimes easily forget the things that he teaches us and reminds us, the things that he said? You know, do we go to church services? Do we read the word and we read this magnificent stuff and we come to church on Easter in about a week's time, we forget all about that again, that Jesus is alive? Do we need to be reminded like them? Do we expect to find Jesus doing nothing and not being there? Do we pray thinking, well, let's just hope he's there? Anyway, all good. They get it now. They're, on, they're, on, they're, with, the, they're with the program. They're excited. Oh, he's gone. Yes, we remember he said that. This is amazing. So they run to the disciples. All right? They run down and, and they head down. These three or four women, they run down to the disciples. Now, these guys, these disciples, they were even closer to Jesus, weren't they, than the women? They kind of walked with him, talked with him, watched him, um, hung out with him. They almost lived with him. Surely they are going to be pumped, aren't they, when these women come back? They're going to say, yes, we knew it, aren't they? Yeah? Uh, you read the thing. They, they're not, are they? They must know this has happened, right? Nope. Nope. They didn't believe the ladies. <laughs> you know, maybe... I can imagine at first, I want to give the guys an excuse, you know, because you can imagine three or four women rushing in from the tomb, all excited what they've discovered, all talking at once. You know what that's like when you hear a whole bunch of ladies all talking at once, right? That is so chauvinist. So we could give them an excuse and say they misunderstood, right? Because the ladies were just so excited. Well, I, I don't think we can give them that excuse. They say that the ladies are telling idle tales, nonsense. The original words, I went to check the original language because a number of them say nonsense, idle tales. The original language uses the same word that you would use to describe the words of a delirious person about to die or someone that was very sick or out of it. A deranged person, they use the words, a deranged person would speak like that. This is what they say, incredible, isn't it? Here come the women... They've got a second chance now to get this right and to remember it. And the women tell them, and they think, you guys are just speaking garbage. You're deranged. Incredible. But then there's Peter. He's a bit of a dreamer. He might be open to a few miracles. So he's got to go and check this out for himself, doesn't he? There might be something in this. He might have been thinking, I was wondering whether Jesus would pull this off. So he's going to go and check it out, isn't he? Just to be sure that the ladies are not mad. He checks it out. 
He sees the linen lying there by itself and he went away wondering, still. He's still wondering what happened, perplexed. The linen's there, so the body hasn't been taken. Someone hasn't nicked the body because the linen's there, it's unwrapped. The stone is gone. Could it be true? And the original word there was perplexed, that Peter was trying to decide what might have happened. You know, <laughs> you've got to wonder, don't you? You've got to wonder about these people. You know, you know, Jesus should have chosen more intelligent people than fishermen, right? You've got to wonder, don't you? But hey, do we, who say that we're followers of Jesus who profess to know him Sunday after Sunday, do we remember and believe everything that he tells us? Do we? Are we expectant for him um, to do the unexpected in our lives and in our world? Do we believe it when there's unexpected stuff? Do we catch ourselves wondering what's going on when Jesus moves, when he does stuff in our lives? Do we think, huh? Or are we like Peter that might be open to a miracle? Maybe what Jesus said was true. You know, we think of it, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about the women, I'm thinking about the disciples, and I'd like to think that I wouldn't be that dumb. Don't you? We like to think that we wouldn't be that dumb. We don't forget. We wouldn't forget Jesus' words, would we? Each Easter we celebrate with a church service and we say, He's risen, hallelujah, that's amazing. What a difference it makes and what a difference it will make in our lives, right? No one needs to ask us why we look for the living among the dead. No one would need to ask me that, right? Or do they? Those words are a profound set of words. See, Jesus defeated death. He really did defeat death. And he ensured that death no longer has the final say. When we go to funerals, there's a tinge, of course, there's sadness as a humor. There's this tinge of celebration knowing that death doesn't have the final say. Jesus made sure of that. It no longer defines us. We're not defined by these 80-odd years that we have on earth that finish at some point. That's not our total definition anymore. And that's what Jesus achieved. We no longer have to live in death Life is available, new life. And remember on Friday we talked about the curtain was torn into two. And this whole sense that we're now allowed in to the Holy of Holies, we're now allowed into that relationship with God. We now have access to God. We have access to life. And God really has let himself out to be part of us. So why do you look for the living among the dead? I felt like, I was being asked that this week. And I want to ask you that. Why do we look for the living among the dead? And these words strike me for my life and for us. Why do I so often look for life or living things among dead things? Things that are not of God. Things that don't reflect who he is. That, that don't line up with who he's called me to be. That don't line up with his values. Things that don't matter. Why do I look for life and, and experience and, 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 and for meaning in those things? Why do I expect that Jesus hasn't moved or isn't moving? 
that isn't done anything or isn't doing anything. Like he isn't alive. Why do we choose at times to stay on the outside of the curtain instead of going in to be with God? We don't approach his presence. We don't get near. You know, it's like we, we really, really want life. We, we, the way we set up our lives, the way we do things, we really do want to live. We do really want life. We really want to have lives that are vibrant. We want to have lives that are meaningful and, and alive. We're, we're hungry for significance and for purpose as human beings. I am. I'm, I'm sure you are. We're hungry for a deeper existence, a, a sense of meaning, yet we look in all the wrong places. When we're young, we look to our peers, people around us. We look to status. We look to, in, for, to social circles to get an echo of who we are or who we should be. We, we look to a sense of belonging. You know, we, we, we understand why, why young people or people are attracted to gangs and things like that because there's a sense of belonging. We, we look for an echo that we're alive there. We look at feelings, relationships, attachments. And we look into so, when we're young, we look into so many things to find life and significance. When we're older, we're not just going to pick on the young people. When we're older and wiser, supposedly, we look to careers. We look at getting rich, stable, secure. We look at taking care of our future. We look to a great family and a, and a good, the right social circles. We, we look for success and many more things because we're looking for life. We're looking to be alive. As church communities, we look for the right theology, the right practice, the right set of programs, the, perhaps the right worship or the new Christian trend or whatever it is because then we will be alive. Then there'll be meaning. Then there'll then it, then it'll be mean, it'll it'll mean something. And as private individuals, just in our own world, we want the right people to accept us. We want to be loved by the right people. Love us. We want the best level of fitness and health. We want the coolest experiences, the greatest travel. We we want to have the the coolest and the most interesting aspirations. I could go on and go on, couldn't I? But they're all things that we look for life. They're things that we think are going to make us feel alive now. You know, and the, and you'll, the, adver, the adverts on the television will say, this is living, don't they? This is living. And none of these things are inherently bad. None of these things are wrong. But by definition, they're dead things. They don't bring life. If you don't have life in Jesus already, you're not going to get life through them. If we want or we need these things to feel that we're truly living, then we're sadly mistaken. And just like the ladies and like the disciples, we've missed what Jesus is saying to us at Easter, what the message of Easter is. We've missed it. And we've become unexpectant like them. We go to the tomb and have a look and think, oh, we're looking for living in all the wrong places. So if that's true, let, 
let us hear, let me and you hear these words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The good news of Easter is we don't have to be like that. Because here's the good news. Jesus rose again. The good news of resurrection, the message of the cross and the resurrection is that death no longer has any power and that we, including our worldly desires and wants, our human aspirations and all those things I talked about, all those things are riddled with sin, but they died with Christ. All of those things that that aren't of him that live in us, they died with Christ. That's the message of Easter. These things were put to death along with him. And it gets better because it's not like we're left with nothing now. It's not like we're left empty now that that's all gone. The good news of the resurrection is that we were also raised with him in victory. And the dead things that we chased after have been replaced with real valuable and satisfying things, things that do bring life, things that do define us now, that I am a follower of Jesus, that I am redeemed, that that I have life and I have a purpose now in Christ. We no longer need to go looking for living things among the dead. We have purpose, we have identity, we, we have a passion that God gave us for his world and people around us. We have meaning, we have mission. When we were raised with Christ, we were raised into a new life with Christ, into a new set of meanings, a new set of purposes, a a new way of feeding that which within us that wants to be alive. We were meant to tap into Christ for that, tap into God for that. And Jesus made sure that that was there for us in the resurrection. The world, our world, would have us chase after things that give us momentary or temporary satisfaction suggesting that that's life this is living if you buy this if you do this if you take this tour you know i i oftentimes and maybe it's because of the hour that i'm up really early in the mornings at the gym and the ads on the tv at the gym are always for these trips on boats down a river from hungary to wherever you know that you what the hell yeah, Budapest and, and, and these, these river cruises. And there's always this well-to-do couple, middle-aged usually, sitting there drinking wine and kicking back and relaxing. You know, and it's only like, I don't know, 10,000 per person. Nothing. You know, and then this is living. And maybe that's, they expect all the old people to be watching at that hour in the morning. You guys don't even know the world exists at that hour of the morning. I know that. But you know, that's... That, But it's wrong. The resurrection says that that's not living. Living is when we look to Jesus and say, what is it that I live for? Why? What's my purpose? What is it that I can do to reflect you to the world? That's living. And it's exciting, let me tell you. It really is exciting. I wish I lived it all the time. I don't. But it is exciting. But the world would suggest that grab this, that's life. But it isn't. What is, is God's design for you personally. God's calling and mission. Showing the world who he is. Taking the message of hope to the world. God's plan. And this is precisely why Jesus came. To do away with all that. And to show us and to give us life. To show us where to look for life. Where to look for living things. 
See, the tomb, a tomb, was made to hold the dead, wasn't it? That's what it was for. And it was empty because it wasn't meant to and it can't hold the living. That's why it was empty. Tombs made for dead people, not for living people. This is the great message of Easter for us. We've been redeemed. We've been raised to life with Christ and dead things can no longer contain us nor can they give us life. That would be like hanging out in a tomb. Tombs weren't made for live people. That's why Jesus wasn't in there. Tombs are made for dead people. The things in life that are dead, we're not supposed to hang around in those things. They were made for dead people. We were made for life. Dead things can no longer contain us or give us life. That's the message of the resurrection. It's no longer satisfying. You will never find life. There's always this next trip or this next experience or this next thing. You know, we welcomed the Davids back from their holiday. And wasn't it a great holiday? And now you're thinking about the next holiday because it's over. But it's never going to give you life. We're all like that a little bit sometimes, aren't we? We no longer need to look for living things in the wrong places because our life is in Him. We no longer need to wonder what happened, but know that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have life and we could have it to the full. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. That, my friends, is good news. Amen? Let's pray.